Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. For the next several weeks, I will be preaching from the book of James. James is a very mysterious book in some ways. That may sound a little unusual to hear about the book of James. We don't know exactly when it was written. Some say it was the first book of the New Testament to be written in somewhere around the years 47 or 48. Others say that it wasn't written until the 80s or 90s. We simply don't know. That's a a mystery about it. The other mystery is uh, who wrote it. Most traditionalists uh, believe that the writer James was the half-brother of Jesus himself. If that were the case, if it is the case, then James's mother would be Mary, just like Jesus' mother was Mary, but they wouldn't have the same father. James's father would be Joseph, and Jesus' father would be, of course, God the Father. Uh, there are certainly some similarities to the things that James says in this letter when you compare them side by side with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. So there are some indications that this James uh, may have... Uh, imitated, I guess, uh, his half-brother, if he is the half-brother of Jesus. But intellectual integrity requires me to tell you that we don't really know for sure who the writer was. It'd be really cool if the writer of this letter were uh, the half-brother of Jesus. We don't know for sure. Really doesn't matter. The point is, this letter is part of the inspired Word of God, and it has something to say to us. So open your Bible to uh, James chapter 1. We're going to read the first 12 verses of uh, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. Very important word right there, patience. But let patience finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given you. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let me ask you something. What are you waiting for? During the past several weeks and months in this really incredible year of 2020, what have you been waiting for? Because waiting requires something that most of us are not very good at. It requires something we call patience. Are you a patient person? I know some folks who are patient people. I don't happen to be one of them. I don't know that many patient people. Uh, I'm looking back here at our cameraman. That's Mr. James White. I love that guy. I find him to be a patient person. Uh, I wonder if Miss Charnell would say that he's a patient person. She probably would. I think she would. But not many people are patient people. What are you waiting for? James, for James, the writer of this letter, patience was incredibly important. Look again to verses 1 through 3. 
He says, James, a servant of God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That is a, um, that is a, a, a metaphorical way of saying I'm writing to, to people of faith, people of Christian faith who are scattered all over the place. That's an interesting uh, scripture verse for us to quote this morning when here we are, a lot of Christians are still scattered all over the place, even on Sunday mornings. He says, greetings, and then he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, and here it is, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, there it is, patience. Now that's James chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now turn to the last chapter of James. James is a short book. The last chapter of James is chapter 5. He begins this work in chapter 1 on testing and trial by talking about patience and What about this? He ends it as well by talking about patience. Look at the last chapter, chapter 5, beginning with verse 7. Be patient. There it is. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable, valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Verse nine, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered You have heard of Job's perseverance, some translations say patience, and have seen what the Lord finally brought about because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So James opens up with a word about patience. James closes his book with a word about patience. In between those two bookends, he gives us a lot of information to follow. But what is the importance of him bookending all of his information with this this exhortation, this directive about patience? What I think he means to say to us is, look, everything that I'm going to tell you in my book is extremely important, but in order for you to even come close to adhering to what I'm saying in the middle of my book, you need to realize that I'm bookending all of that with patience. Without patience... Nothing else is of much value. Have you ever thought about what we would accomplish if, if, if we did it without patience? I think of people who uh, try to learn a certain, uh, uh, learn to do a certain thing. For instance, if you want to learn to play the piano, Occasionally on my Facebook feed, there'll be an ad that pops up saying, you want to learn how to play the piano in a week? And you know, I just kind of delete that ad. You know why? Because I've tried to learn to play the piano. And and I want you to hear this. It's impossible to learn to play the, the piano in a week. Learning something like the piano, learning to play the guitar, it takes time It takes being willing to wait, but not just wait and sit back. Nobody who waits and sits in a lazy boy recliner is going to learn to play the piano. You have to wait while you work. Waiting that is active. Waiting that is doing something while you're waiting. 
James is suggesting to us that without the ability to wait and work, without the ability of patience, we will not learn much of anything, let alone learn to live like the Jesus we claim to follow. For the past year and a half, I've been trying to learn how to speak Spanish, literally for the past year and a half, little more than a year and a half. And so uh, for the past 470 days in a row, I have been taking a 30-minute online class on Spanish. Now, I'm an old man. I'm about to turn 60 next month. Whenever I was in high school, I took two years of French, went on to college, took two years of French in college, and unfortunately, I was so immature back then that I just took the classes to get the grade, as opposed to taking the classes to learn the language. I wish I had been so much wiser back then, because young people can pick things up pretty quickly. I'd love to learn Spanish because we have a Hispanic ministry here. I'd love to be able to teach a lesson in Spanish or preach a sermon in Spanish. I'd love to be able to go into a Hispanic community and and speak their language rather than requiring them all the time to speak my language. Learning takes patience. The Bible doesn't just suggest that we be patient. It, It lays down patience as a requirement. In the Bible, the word patient has several different meanings, but its root meaning is this, to be able to bear up under pressure. Literally, it means to endure And so some translations of the Bible will take the word that I have uh, rendered patience in, in my reading of the text, and they translate the word as either endurance or perseverance. Now, when you think about endurance and perseverance, those are great words, great translations of these Greek words because they imply more than just sitting and waiting. And when I, when I say to you that this is a sermon entitled, Hurry Up and Wait, I'm not talking about hurry up and waiting by sitting down. I'm talking about waiting by doing something that helps you accomplish your goal. And one of the ways that God has designed this whole world, especially human life, the way that he's designed it is such a way that patience includes suffering, It includes trials. And so we find, for instance, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, but we glory in our sufferings. That is, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Paul, have you lost your mind? We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because suffering produces patience. You see, patience is something that we need. Trials produce patience and we need patience. What this means is that trials work for us, not against us. How can you say that, preachers? Because trials produce in us patience. And what's the importance of patience? Patience produces wisdom. Go back again to James chapter 1 verse 3. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works or that produces patience. 
So trials works work for us, not against us. He says, count it all joy when they come. Trials to the Christian are not obstacles, although we look at them as obstacles, but rather they are opportunities. They are there for our maturity. They are there for our completion. And then look at verse 4. But let patience have her perfect. Perfect there means complete work that you may be perfect. Because you see, patience is required for us to grow spiritually. But in order for us to be patient, God has designed this world. He didn't have to design it this way, but he did. I don't know why. There's no point in asking him why. He's not going to tell us, I'm sure. But the fact is he designed this world so that for us to be patient, there has to be, there has to be a trial, a crisis. So God brings us to maturity. Go out in the woods. I love to go out in the woods during these days. And uh, if I'm not looking uh, for snakes, which I'm, uh, I don't like snakes, but I love going out in the woods. I love smelling the woods. I love looking at oak trees. You know what an oak tree is? An oak tree is a mature acorn. You pick up an acorn, you think, man, that's pretty, but there's not a whole lot to it. You can't eat it. You can't use it for seasoning. At least I've never heard of anybody using it for seasoning. But if you look at a mighty oak tree, that oak tree at some time in the distant past was nothing more than an acorn. There's an old saying that people used to say. It went like this. When we are discouraged and feeling a little blue, take a look at a mighty oak and see what a nut can do. Alluding to an oak tree being the perfection or the maturing of an acorn. So what what God is saying to us is this, if you you have faith, but I'm going to mature that faith. You know, one of the greatest tragedies of, of Christians not every Christian, but the great tragedy of so many Christians is we, we, we receive Christ and we get what we call saved. But then after that, we do very little in terms of growing that Christian faith, even though most of the Bible is written not so much about how to be saved, but how to grow. In fact, the writer of James here is, is assuming something about his audience. Here's what he's assuming. Listen carefully to this. He is assuming that his audience is either saved or they think they're saved. Now, the flip side of that assumption is he doesn't assume that his audience is an audience filled with lost people. He assumes they're saved or that they think they're saved. And so he's writing to Christians or people who think that they are Christians. And he says, he says, look, you have faith, but God wants you to grow in your faith. And, and the only way, the only way that your faith can grow is by patient endurance, maturing under the load of stress. And you try to shortcut that, short circuit it, and you run into all kinds of problems. I, I read about an entomologist Now, you remember that an entomologist is a scientist who studies insects, right? And I read about an entomologist who ran up on, in the woods, upon a cocoon. The cocoon, he recognized it to be the cocoon of an emperor moth. And so he took it from where it was, and he brought it back to his laboratory to keep it because he wanted to watch the emperor moth come out of that cocoon 
and flourish and fly as a moth. And so over time, he watched it, and for a while, it didn't seem to do anything. And then it start, the cocoon started moving around a bit, and it began to split, and parts of the moth began to emerge, but the moth was straining and straining and straining, having difficulty trying to rip open that cocoon. And so the entomologist did something at that point that he should have known better than to do. He took a sharp razor and he slit the side of the cocoon that was already partially being ripped open by the emperor moth. And sure enough, when he slit the side of that that cocoon, the emperor moth, moth emerged from that cocoon And he looked so lively, he plopped out, he began to move around, he flapped his wings, but he flapped them feebly, and it was not very long until that emperor moth on the ground, unable to fly, died. You see, that scientist thought he was doing the moth a favor by slitting the side of that cocoon, making it easier for that moth to come out. But you see, God had built into that moth the need to exercise those wings to build strength so that by the time he got out of that cocoon, he would be able to fly. But by slitting the side of that cocoon and and allowing that moth to come out of that cocoon without all the straining and the exercise that would have produced strong wings, the scientists shortcut the growth of that moth. Some of you right now are like, you're you're going through a crisis, a trial that's almost like an emperor moth in the middle of a cocoon. You feel restrained, you feel bound, you're extremely uncomfortable, and you're wondering why in the world is life like this? You don't see it this way for a lot of other people. Why do bad things always seem to find you out? How wonderful it would be if somebody would rip open the side of this cocoon so you could fly out. The problem is if they were to rip open that cocoon, doing so would shortcut the stress that would be necessary for you to produce patience, patience which is necessary for you to produce wisdom. And the same is true for us. You see, we, we don't do ourselves a favor when we, in the middle of a trial, we say to God, God, take away the trial. I mean, now most of us, when we have some sort of trial or crisis we go through, I mean, what do we do? What do we pray? Lord, take this away. Please take this away. But according to James, we ought to instead pray for wisdom. In fact, here's what James says in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4, let patience finish It's work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. So what should we do when we, when we find ourselves in the middle of a crisis, like so many of us are in, probably a majority of us are in at this moment, what we should do is pray for God to give us wisdom. And he's going to give us wisdom. Part of that wisdom he'll give us through a divine revelation. He just gives it to us. 
either through his spirit or through his word. But part of, part of that wisdom comes as a result of experiencing hard times. We've heard the phrase school of hard knocks. There's some truth behind that. There is wisdom that is available to us, but only if we're willing to patiently drudge through the school of hard knocks. You see, God gives us tests. And we can try to skip the test. And and here's what's going to happen. If we skip a test, what's God going to do? He's going to give us the test again. And if we skip it again, he's going to keep giving that test again and again. You see, God doesn't stop giving tests. He just keeps on. Every time you and I fail, he gives us the test. So why don't we instead just study for the test? Why don't we just say, Lord, give me the wisdom that I need in order to pass this test? What is it that you're trying to build in me? What spiritual ability, what level of spiritual growth do you want to instill, build in me? What is the purpose of patience? So what is patience? Patience perfect work, it's maturity, it's growth, that you may be perfect, entire, lacking nothing. God, get this, God doesn't want you to be a spiritual cream puff. And let me tell you, there is a pandemic, not just of coronavirus and not just of racial inequality. There is a pandemic of spiritual cream puffness going on among Christians today. I read about four guys who went mountain climbing one weekend, and in the middle of the climb, one, one of the guys accidentally slipped over a cliff. He dropped about 60 feet, landed with a thud on the ledge below. The other three guys were so worried, they thought, is he, is he dead? They looked down, and, 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 and they, they could tell that he was making some movement. His name was Joe. They said, Joe, are you okay? He says, I think I'm okay. I'm alive, but I think I broke both my arms. I can't move them. We'll toss a rope down to you and pull you up. Just lie still right there. And... Joe said, fine, I'll lie still. He didn't have a whole lot of choice. A few minutes later, they dropped the rope down to to Joe and and somehow he got hold of that rope and they began to pull him up and they got him about three-fourths of the way up the side of the bluff when the three of them thought, wait a minute, Joe's arms are broken. What in the world is he hanging on to with that rope? And so they leaned over and they said, Joe, your arms are broken. What in, the, what in the world are you holding on to the rope with? And Joe, Joe says, my teeth. You ever feel like you're in a hard time and you're just hanging on by the skin of your teeth? You know what James is saying to us, what, what we need to do when, when we're in a hard time and we're hanging by the skin of our teeth? He's, going, he's saying to us this. He's saying, hold on a little bit longer. Don't turn loose. Hold on. God is doing something. Hold on and trust in him. You may not see what he's doing right now, but he is doing something behind the scenes. You remember, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, 
Somebody came out with these uh, framed 3D posters. I know you've seen them. And they just looked on the surface like a blob of colors. Do y'all remember those? They looked like a blob of colors. But, but they came with instructions. The instructions were you sit in, 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 in front of the, the blob poster and you look at it. You stare at it and you keep staring at it. And what they told us was, was that if you continue to stare at it, at some point there will be an image which is behind the blob of colors that will start showing through, but you can't see it until you spend some time just fastening your eyes onto the poster. You know, some folks never saw the image because they weren't patient enough to sit in front of that blob of colors, that poster full of color blob. But, Those who were willing to wait, those who were patient would sit there and suddenly, I don't know how, but suddenly as you were fasting your eyes on that blob of colors, there would be some picture, some identifiable picture that would start coming out and you'd be able to see it. And once you saw it, you couldn't not see it. You couldn't unsee it. James says to us, look, Your trials right now are like a blob. You feel like you're walking through a blob. But if you will just keep going through those trials, if you will trust God, if you will look at them through the the lens of faith, don't don't do like some sugar-coated Christians do and say, there's, there's no trial. There's no trial. God's got this. There's no trial. It's true that God has got this, but don't, don't deny the trial. That makes us look stupid. Look, there's a trial there, but if we focus through the lens of faith on this trial and what God's doing, we're going to start seeing the image of God working and, and working for us on our behalf, start coming through those trials. Again, James says the testing of our faith results in patience, verse 3. But we must allow for time, that's verse 4, because time is a vital tool in God's healing process. Let me tell you something. I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting in line. I don't like waiting for our church to open. I don't like waiting for somebody to return my call. I don't like when I'm, when I'm calling somebody for customer service, they put me on hold and I have to wait for 30 minutes. I don't like to wait. You like to wait? And yet when it comes to growing our faith, just like a farmer growing something in his garden, we have to wait for the things to happen that we have no control over. Because we need to realize this, many trials, if we wait long enough, if we persevere long enough, many trials turn into blessings. Malcolm Muggridge once said this, he says, quote, contrary to what might be expected, I look back on my experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful, and I look at them with particular satisfaction. He goes on to say, indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I've learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. I was eating Jello the other day. I'm not really big on Jello, but 
It's better than chicken livers. Jello. Did you know that Jello is about 123 years old? Jello. Jello was invented by a man. Get this. His name was Pearl. P e a r l e. Wait. W a i t. And Pearl Wait. Lived in 1897. He was a construction worker. He dabbled in patent medicines and he went door to door selling homemade remedies in addition to being in construction. And one day while he was tinkering with some stuff, he he came upon quite accidentally a mixed fruit flavoring with granulated gelatin and and he put it together and his wife came up and saw it and she's the one who called it Jello. And Pearl Waite thought that it was just another product to peddle. And so he'd go door to door. He didn't find a whole lot of interest in it. Sales didn't go as fast as he thought it would. And so there was a fella who came up to him and saw this thing and saw the potential in Jell-O. And he offered Pearl Waite $450 for the patent for Jell-O. Now, $450 around the turn of the century, around 1900, was a lot of money. That was equal to two years' salary for a lot of people. So $450 was a lot. It may be hard to turn down. So to his credit, Pearl Waite sold Jell-O, the patent to Jell-O, for $450. Now, the man to whom he sold it, the man's last name was Woodward. He had a funny first name, Orator Woodward. Pearl Waite sold the patent for Jell-O to Orator Woodward for $450. And in eight years, eight years, Woodward turned Jell-O, turned that $450 investment into a $1 million business. And do you know that as of today, June the 7th, 2020, not a single descendant of Pearl Waite, who invented Jell-O, receives one penny from the 1.1 million boxes of Jell-O that are sold every single D-A-Y, day. 1.1 million boxes of Jell-O are sold every day, and there are descendants of Mr. Pearlweight, Pearlweight who invented Jell-O. They receive not one penny of the proceeds of the stock. You know why? Because Mr. Wait could not wait. He didn't have patience. You see, Isaiah was right in chapter 40, verse 31, when he said this. He says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. One of my favorite artists, musical artists, is John Mayer. Back in 2006, he released a song. He recorded and released a song called waiting on the world to change. You and I have been waiting on the world to change. We've seen over the past 10 days how long African-American citizens, African-American brothers and sisters have been waiting on the world to change. We white folks may 
try to ridicule some of our, our, our black friends about their protest and whatever, whatever have you. But, but let, me, let me just remind you, in 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King gave his what? Uh, his, his I have a dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in the Washington Mall. Uh, it was five years later that he, he was assassinated, still looking for that dream. He was still waiting for that dream. And here we are, almost 45 years later, And some of these folks are still waiting for that dream to occur. What dream? The dream of equality. The dream of of being able to walk down the street, take a jog down the street, uh, just be down the street and and not be looked at as, oh gosh, is is that person going to mug me? John Mayer said, me and all my friends were all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing and there's no way we could ever, we ever could stand for nothing. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it. He said, we just feel like we don't have the means to rise up and beat it. And so we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. He said, now if we had the power to bring our neighbors home from war, they would never have missed a Christmas, no more ribbons on their door. And when you trust your television, what you get is what you got. Because when they own the information, they can bend it all they want. That's why we're waiting, waiting on the world to change. One day our generation, he says, is going to rule the population. But until then, we keep on waiting, waiting for the world to change. Waiting. And God is waiting on us. God's waiting on us. Us who? Not us, them out there, us. Us who belong to Christ. What does 2 Chronicles 7.14 said? If my people who are called by my name, not them out there, my people. Where's the problem? The problem is not out there. It's with my people, God said. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land We know that verse, but the next verse says, but now I will wait to see what my people will do. Oh Lord, as we wait for you, I want personally to apologize to you for the infinite amount of time that you've had to wait for me. I'm told, Lord, that the average person waits somewhere around an hour a day waiting on something. That probably doesn't count waiting through a commercial to see a program we want to see or waiting for dinner to be done or waiting for the grass to get cut. But it's nothing compared to how much you have to wait for us. You're waiting for us to change. You're waiting for us to reflect the life of Jesus. You're waiting for us to be the difference that you've called us to be. 
And that message is for, for your people. James's message here was not to lost people. He wasn't telling them how to be saved. He was talking to saved people about how their lives ought to be now that they are saved. You're waiting on us. God help us. To have the patience to become like Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.